Welcome to Stories of Expansion, created by Gosha Gona and me, Wun Tan. This podcast shares inspiring expansion stories. We speak to amazing guests who have turned the biggest challenges and fears into blessings for themselves and others. We will be exploring how they've overcome their personal and business challenges to create a bigger impact and make a difference in the world. We will learn how they have survived and blossomed in times of challenge. We believe that the world needs us more than ever before. It is time to stop procrastinating and playing small. Let's show up more fully and achieve what we're here to do together. Hello everybody. Today I have a great joy and honor to interview Elaine Wilkins, who is a great friend of mine, but also a profound inspiration for me. Because uh, Elaine is um, an expert in something that is related to everybody. And she is a well-being expert and also an expert in Tell us, what are you an expert in? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So my area of expertise, Goshia, is uh, ME, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Elaine, you have been observing me since we've known each other for for a few years. And I I basically get told off quite frequently (laughs) for going to sleep too late and working late hours. And so she's my like a good angel that keeps on... Uh, pointing out to me that the way I go about my success sometimes is not appropriate. So, and, and I take everything that you say to heart because I know that what you're talking about is not theoretical. You have gone through this yourself. So could you please tell us what has actually happened? And because your business is built on great pain, actually, essentially, and being sick yourself and then recovering. So so tell us, how did you come to create the most incredible business that changes so many people's lives? Well, the chrysalis effect, by its very name, is about the transformation that happens, that we undergo when often something quite difficult happens in our life. And I think that's why a lot of people use butterflies as as that um, symbol. So the Christmas effect was born out of my experience because I had been um, running a business. Uh, I was uh, at the top of my game in my uh, business. It was a cosmetic company. I was traveling the world. I was teaching, training, speaking, selling, doing a, a whole host of things. And I got into that Uh, particular business because it was based on the whole mission statement that you could put your family first and I loved that idea because when my children were small I'd always worked around them and that was great and then I retrained and went to university and I wanted to do uh, I wanted to help more people that was my thing and my big thing was empowering women and uh, I was really passionate about doing that. And so the re- part of the reason that I became part of that uh, cosmetic company was that there were thousands of women who um, often didn't see how great they really were. And I had the joy of being able to help them with their confidence and, and empowering them to move from perhaps doing jobs that they didn't enjoy to taking them through training so that they could literally um, develop a business that enabled them to become everything they wanted to be. So it's really spoke to my heart. What happened along the way was that this was an American company who really incentivized you. They just knew how to kind of hook you into um, doing more and more and more. And I unfortunately, Uh, could not see that that was happening to me. So uh, going from being um, a mum who uh, had always run my own businesses, but, you know, had that in in really good balance, uh, my my work-life balance just literally disappeared. So I was, as I said, traveling, working, often um, 70-hour weeks. I was 
building and developing and supporting teams. And that meant that I was accessible pretty much um, 24 hours a day. So I would be working um, really, really hard. And then I would be uh, on call. So I would be um, helping people when they needed it, whenever they needed it. And what that did was it eroded my home life and eventually eroded my health to a point where I came back from a long haul flight and I've been having lots of symptoms, uh, but I just kept thinking it was temporary. And I came back from a long haul flight, thought I had jet lag. I had a bit of a throat um, problem. My voice had become very gruff and uh, I had to do a lot of speaking. So I just thought it was that. And then the jet lag didn't go away. And after seeing doctors and ultimately different consultants, um, all I could do was just you know, have those appointments and drag myself back to bed. And it soon became really um, obvious that this wasn't something that was just going to stop. And I tipped over into what I now understand was um, chronic fatigue syndrome. And ultimately, after 18 months of um, just trying desperately to regain a little bit of energy and uh, then, you know, try to get back to what was my normal life. Um, I then had a massive crash that really meant that I ended up bed bound. For how long? So uh, I was bed bound for months at a time, periods at a time. Um, but I think what was just so it's so shocking to me when I look back was the fact that I had long <coughs> long period of being warned I had been having mini crashes for a long time for how long um so probably well over a year I okay. had been um working harder and harder and I would be um just resting at weekends just to recoup and then to get myself out of bed and then do it all again so I was always putting on a brave face and I think that's you know very, very common in, in the work that, mm -hmm. that I see and do. And I think probably my worst point, and this is really shaming, but I felt so ill at one time, and uh, but I, I kept it very much a secret. This, you know, mm -hmm. so often chronic fatigue yeah. is a very hidden yeah. um, illness because the very nature of the kinds of, um, that those of us that tend to be prone to chronic fatigue, we tend to be those A-type driven, oh. um, really overachieving oh. types of people. And so any um, indication that you can't quite do what you were yeah. able to do, uh, I felt like I was I was getting lazy, or and I didn't want to admit to anybody yeah. that I couldn't do things because I felt like you know they would judge me, and I know that that was very much caught up in why I I I would be laying in bed, and the phone would be ringing in my office, and when I did eventually answer that phone, I would tell people that I'd been busy rather than actually that I was too exhausted to drag myself out of the bed. But I was just going to say about the worst day was that I'd had to cancel um, client appointments a few t a few times. And this particular day had been rescheduled again. And this was all due to, because my health was, was really struggling. And my husband said, um, I said, I can't, I can't not go. I can't not go. They're expecting me. I can't let, let them down. And he said, well, I'll drive you. Yes. And he drove me to this appointment. And I felt so wretched and I was so ill. And I got out the car and I was, I was ill. I was, I actually vomited. And then I cleaned myself up, put on a bit of lipstick and then went into the appointment and held that appointment. Oh and that's the level at which I'd got to where I just could not allow myself to stop. It was just crazy. Wow. What a story, Elaine. And I, I'm sure that some of the listeners could be um, thinking now, oh God, maybe I've gone through the same or I'm heading that way, you yeah. know. Yeah. And so so from that point, it's taken you what, six years to, to, to recover, yes. regain your health. Yeah, from, from when I had that first crash, when I came back from that long haul flight. Of course, what I did when I had that first crash was I managed to rally a little bit of energy a few weeks later. So I went and joined a gym because I thought I needed oh to my build God. my stamina. Yes. And that is so common. I hear that all the time, you know, and it was just about trying to control everything. It was about 
you know, I've worked so hard, I can't possibly lose what I've worked towards. And um, my poor son, who was at private school at the time, um, he was so wise, you know, our children are so wise. He could see what I was doing to myself and he was really acting out and really kicking up. And I was blaming him for his bad behaviour. And I was, you know, I'm ashamed to say that I was saying, I'm doing all this work to pay to send you to a really good school. And he didn't even particularly care about going to that school. Mm. He probably cared about Mummy. his mum and the fact that the only time he saw his mum was when I was crashed out on a sofa, exhausted, or I was on the phone helping everybody else. And I can remember it's, you know, really upsetting, but he would just walk in the room to say, you know, um, oh, to say goodnight, but he'd see me on the phone and he'd learnt just to wave at me instead, and, and I would just wave back and I'd carry on with that client. Now, when I tipped over into, a, you know, quite a severe illness, uh, those clients weren't anywhere to be found. <laughs> so you can imagine that, you know, what happens really insidiously is that all the values that I stood for became eroded and the relationship with my son and I was very, very strained and very, very difficult. Like most kids, he wanted some attention, so he got negative attention, so he did all sorts of terrible things um, to, you know, and so home life was very challenging. Um, I'd just like to say that that is, you know, we, we rebuilt all that and, um, <laughs> uh, and you know, got a fantastic relationship with him now, but um, I can't get back those years when I, um, you know, he needed me. I, uh, he was a teenager at the time, and I think sometimes we think our teens, because they're a bit you know, they seem very wrapped up in their friends and, they're, and they're, they seem okay and sorted, yeah. but they're not really. They they're need not. you more then than they... I learned that. They need you more at that stage. And I found a book actually called Unhappy Teenagers and I read it and I cried all the way through it because it was about parents that take their children to psychologists. And this brilliant psychologist said, it's not the kids. It's the parents. It's the way they're living. Yeah. And he was just deeply unhappy because he. I had a great close relationship with him. I was always taking him to school, mm-hmm. chatting to him. And I delegated that. I delegated that to my husband because my business took over. And one thing I did learn is you can't delegate your relationships. My God, no, you can't. Well, you've actually touched on something very important. Um and I want to ask you, can you define for us what is success to you then? Success is very different now to what it was for me then. Um, I, don't, I didn't set out to, uh, to really be a big success. It was about working in something that was close to my heart, which is, yeah. was women's empowerment. Um, Success for me now, having lost my health so dramatically, uh, is about succeeding at home first. And I think, you know, the whole lesson of what I learned with um, my son, Christian, uh, was around that. It was around my husband. I'm very, very fortunate. You know, he's always been hugely supportive of me. Um, But it it was the relationship with my son that taught me so much that what is the point of going out there and earning loads of money and, and, and people uh, holding you in high esteem because yes. you look, you know, you're great at what you do, if when you come home and put that key in the door, if there's, you know, pain. bad energy yeah. and, and emotional upset and pain. And it was when I came across Stephen Covey's work, um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is a great, (laughs) great, fantastic book. It was life changing for me because one of the uh, pillars or principles of his book was succeed at home first. And I think I I read that um, during the latter part of my recovery. And it was it just was one of those things that just I thought, ah, that's it. So anything I end up going forward and doing has to be based on succeeding at home first. So my home is my sanctuary now, and I really um, believe that that's key. It has to be somewhere you want to be and somewhere that you love to be. So nurturing your relationships 
is 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 central then you're coming from a really strong foundation to go out there in the world and do whatever it is that you you know I, I believe we've got this blueprint that that life gets us off you know if we get it if we get ill it's because we're off track yeah. and we're not doing things not doing what we're supposed to be doing and deep down in my heart as successful as I was I was number one in that company I broke every record there was wow. I earned trips all over the world and believe it or not they 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 paid us in di- you know we got diamonds for rewards and I earned the pink Mercedes in the quickest time possible wow. and you know it was all very heady and all very exciting um but it was just all superficial and I'm always um remember my mum teaching me that all that glistens isn't gold ah. and I think it was that was the lesson that I was learning really so actually you, you could say that there is um the superficial success yeah and a deep success deep success so what you have right now it's the deep success yeah. that includes happy relationships yeah. I just saw you how you actually um spoke to your husband this morning and how you treated each other with this most amazing loving respectful sort of attitude and how wonderful your relationships are with your kids and your friends and with yourself that you treat yourself with love so the um so the deep success and the superficial success it's really the um the bottom line of this conversation for me, and this is what I'm actually hearing yeah. from you, yeah. is the success that you're having, is it a profound, deep success, or is it shallow, superficial yeah. success, and where do you want to be? So talking about, um, let's say, a recipe, because a recipe for the deep success, right? Yeah. Um, you have gone through this path yourself, and you know what works, And you know what doesn't work, mm-hmm. okay? So can you please tell me um, if people are on this journey already now, and maybe most of the people who listen um, to this uh, interview right now, they may be already taking care of themselves. Yes. But maybe not everybody, yeah. and maybe um, they know that they're exhausted. Yes. Maybe more exhausted yeah. than they think they are. Yeah. So uh, wherever you are at this moment, okay, um, wherever people are, can you please give us few steps? of turning whatever success they have into a deeper success starting maybe with don'ts and then going to do's what are the three things that you would like people to stop doing immediately stop doing immediately um <clears throat> so i think um stop pushing yourself oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, i i think that with certainly fatigue illnesses they creep up on you. Yes. So if I just run through a few of the symptoms, I think, yes. that, that are the early warning si- signals. You, you know, our body is this amazing font of wisdom. And unfortunately, in the world that we live in now, we um, have a disconnect. We move away from living in our body and listening to this amazing satellite navigation that we have that tells us immediately whether something feels right for us or something feels wrong for us. And I had learned to completely cut that off. Mm. So what happens is, is that notice if you're living in your head. And I think if you're living in your head, what you tend to be doing is either worrying about the past, worrying about the future, planning, plotting. And if anyone has got a massive to-do list, um, probably, you know, I could have written mine on a roll of loo paper. It was just <laughs> never ending. And um, if your brain yeah. is continually yeah. going through, uh, you know, your to-do list, your to-do list, and um, then that's a very clear signal, I think, that you're, you, 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 there's a disconnect. You're not listening to your body. And it, that's, I think, one of the most important things is... Um, making sure that you're not creating this crazy uh, list so that you get onto a treadmill. Life becomes a treadmill. So I think stop that immediately. So stop making lists? Are you saying stop making no, long lists? No, not list? at all, but stop living <laughs> by a to-do list. Because okay. uh, I think when we do that, we're so um, task-focused that we're not actually engaging in the process. Ah. And deep success is, I believe, making every day joyful. So it's not so much about the doing, 
but yeah. more going into the being, yeah? It's going okay. into the being, yeah, because mm. that, that was something I learned that, you know, we are human beings, but we, we become human doings. Yeah. So that's the first thing. That's what's killing us, essentially, it's, right? Yeah. From from going to what we naturally are, human beings, to, yeah. to going to human beings and disconnecting from our intuitive nature. Yes. And uh, disconnecting from the body, yeah. because the, you have to be disconnected from your body yeah. to stay in the doing constantly, right? Yeah. Exactly. That's the payoff, right? Exactly. Okay, so the yeah. first thing... Stop doing this, right? Stop yeah. being the human doing. Okay. That's, that's right. Stop doing that. I think just tap into your body and feel what's going on. So I would be on the computer and I would start to feel this feeling coming up my back, like a, 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 a sort of a discomfort. It would be a heavy feeling. I would get a headache. That headache would probably turn to a migraine. And when I was ignoring all of that, I would just reach for taking uh, a pill to numb the headache. And I've got this deadline, so I've just got to get this done. I'll just do another hour and push through. So I think when you start connecting with your body and you know, the, the work that, the, that uh, we do really is helping people to uh, move from being in their head to actually allowing their, their body to guide them. So when you start mm. to um, listen, it will give you every warning signal possible. But it's when we ignore those those signals. You know, it starts off by whispering with that, you know, that unease, that, diff, that, that, that discomfort. And then the only way our body can actually communicate with us is through physical symptoms, through physical yeah. messages. And when we start to ignore the, the headaches, maybe the um the, the uh, gut issues the, the the discomfort maybe that struggling with ibs i struggled with ibs for years oh, and uh, before before oh. yeah so whenever i was in a difficult or a stressful situation instead of removing myself from that situation i would put up with the irritable bowel syndrome <laughs> and just think well that's the way it is you know this is this is just what happens to my body i never learned to actually link oh my god which is crazy, isn't it's it? Crazy. We don't link yeah, those Yeah, we don't link it. So, what you know, never used to think, why have I got a headache? Yeah. Why is my why is my stomach just bloated like crazy? Yeah. And, you know, some of that has to do with, with, of course, you know, our nutrition and the way we take care of ourselves nutritionally is essential. But if you are somebody like me that wasn't looking after myself, I was eating on the run, I was grabbing yeah. fast food. Grabbing. Um, you know, then... I, I didn't even equate food with nurturing myself or self, you know, or nourishing myself. And so, you know, looking at, well, in terms of wellness, I, my, my area of expertise, I did the research into recovery. So I interviewed people that hadn't just um, had a chronic fatigue illness, they had recovered and were supremely healthy and vital because when I was mm. ill that's what I craved I didn't mm. want to manage an illness or live like mm. this in this reduced life so I studied recovery and it's a bit like with Mother Teresa you know she says you know when she was asked to take part in an anti-war rally she said if it had been called a pro-peace rally, then I would be interested and so you know unfortunately I think in our current medical model uh, people look at disease and they get stuck on looking at symptoms. What I wanted us to do was what what was it that enabled that person to move from that very painful mm. place with um, uh, gut issues, uh, memory concentration, mm. uh, immune, you know, getting lots of infections. Yeah. You know, the body breaks down in a sort of domino effect. And it's really easy to explain where that, you know, how that happens. Yeah. And ultimately, uh, when our blood sugar is affected, when um, when we we're triggering our HPA axis, so we've got our um, our adrenal glands are really under a lot of pressure. That ultimately affects our thyroid gland. Our thyroid is responsible for our energy production. And when we're in a constant state of stress, our gut literally shuts down, which means that we can't. Um, rest and digest we can't process our food properly 80% of the immune systems in the gut so therefore the gut becomes impeded and when our gut is affected 
then our immune system breaks down. And ultimately mm-hmm. that leads round, that leads all the way on this sort of um, continuum until it affects our energy. And, you know, I'd never even linked the fact that when I was with certain people, my energy dipped. Mm-hmm. And when I was with other certain people, my energy lifted. Mm-hmm. And when I did certain roles in my work, my energy dipped. And when I did other things, I was on fire and I felt great. So actually, what you what you're talking about um, is about deep listening. It's deep, deep, listening. deep listening, and that requires a huge permission from us to stop and slow down and pay yes. attention. Yeah. So the number two don'ts yeah. would be stop ignoring the messages yeah. that you're getting from your body. Yeah. You're getting from your loved ones that you're getting from your intuition yeah. that your soul is begging you to pay attention to so the number two is stop ignoring the messages and and like if i was listening to this now and i probably listen to it again it would be to make a list of all the things yeah. that i have ignored today yeah. or this week when my body was trying to tell me something like for instance i have this shoulder ache quite often right and um and I go, okay, I must go to an osteopath and sort it out, sort it out. You know, it's such a nuisance. But actually, this is the total opposite. No, don't go to an osteopath necessarily immediately, but go and talk to your shoulder. Yes. And listen to it and find yeah. out why it's hurting, right? Yeah. So it's a very different approach, right? Completely. So um, stop being human um, doing, right? Yes. St- and uh, stop ignoring your messages. What will you be your third tip? To stop doing. To stop doing. To stop. To stop forcing yourself to do yeah. things. That doesn't aren't bring right for you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Can you give us an example? Um, yes, I think that for me it. A, a, you know, one of my values is integrity. So if I'd said I was going to do something for somebody, I would, I would do it, even if I, you know, and I think the example I've given was pretty extreme, where I made myself go, even though I was, I was too unwell to, to, to do that. So I think, yeah, forcing yourself to, to, to follow through on something just because you've, you've said yes. You've made it, you've, you've yeah. given a word. Yeah. So, Interesting, yeah. yeah, I think learning to say no yeah. and learning to give yourself time. When someone requests something of you, you you don't need to be compelled to answer in that moment. So, yeah. I, I, you know, one of the things uh, that I've noticed with people's health is one of the turning points is when they actually learn some assertion skills and they learn about... Um, a very simple thing that when someone asks you to do something, if they put you on the spot, that's actually a slightly aggressive act. You know, when someone says to you, what are you doing on Friday? Yes. And you think, oh, <laughs> Panic, like, yeah. like, rabbit in the headlights. And uh, and, and then sometimes people can, can then say, oh, because, you know, I, I'd really love you to come and do so-and-so. And, you know, can you do it? And you sort of, you, you know... You, if your gut is telling you, oh, this is really exciting, yes, then by all means yeah. say yes. If you get that dip, that horrible feeling in your gut that you really you don't want to do it, what we tend to do is reach for a lie or an excuse because we don't yeah. want to look bad in front of that person. Yeah. So I, I think that all, again, fits hand in hand with the um, profile. You know, we, we work very hard on, you know, studying those people that are all recovered they all fitted the same profile. And in the 2,700 profiles, I think so far we've had come through with people that have tipped over into fatigue, uh, the same profile is is there. And part of that is people pleasing. Okay, what else? Yeah. I'm excited okay, to know. Okay. So the A-type personality yes. being somebody that feels driven, often an overachiever. Yes. And that can be in not just in business or in a job, but it can be in sport. So ah. often the people that push themselves, you know, they'll do their their week, their hard day's work and then they'll be off to the gym and they won't just do yoga at the gym. Yeah. They'll do spinning or, you know, one of one, one of um, uh, my clients, uh, her thing was Munro bagging. So, you know, she would be pushing herself really hard and then she'd be climbing mountains at the weekends. Oh. And I had one client who... Um, who came through and said she interviewed potential boyfriends by challenging them to um, a mountain bike race up a mountain. 
if they d- <laughs> and if they didn't get to the top before her, then they were an absolute. How is no- she doing? Okay. With, how is she doing with the dating? <laughs> so, uh, well, <laughs> I think she's changed her approach slightly now. But it was it's all, it was all about achieving. Now, for yeah. some people, they can't relate to that, but there will be um, perhaps overgiving putting everyone ah, else's needs before first. their own. So oh. that's always there in, in in the mix. The other thing is living in their head, you know, uh, ah. and um, and that which we've talked about, you know, having sort of lots of, mm. uh, of lists and things to do and having that disconnect. The, the other one is um, really being overly empathic. You know, there's, the word over comes up quite a lot. So perhaps um, that people-pleasing, that, that need to people-please comes often from um, a need to um, Yeah. Yeah, where does it come from? Do you know I was just thinking to ask you, Elaine, where does it all come from? Where does it Because all come? you have talked to me about yeah. it a lot and yeah. a lot of your um, the amazing program that you've created yeah. is based around um, working with the adverse childhood effect. The, yes, the, yeah. yeah, it does. So, so where does it come from? So it comes from, so um, the, the other couple of elements really are that people are usually highly sensitive. Yes. And that high level of sensitivity um, is not just physically, so um, you know that if you take medication, you perhaps have a bad reaction. Uh, uh, maybe certain foods have a big reaction in your body. Yeah. Um, but it's also emotionally sensitive, and that comes often from our childhood. Yeah, we go. And, yes. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> there's even been uh, some fantastic studies done where they've identified the difference between orchid children yeah. and dandelion children so if you're a dandelion child you're pretty robust and you're pretty tough and you know you're bomb proof so even if you've been growing up and there's been quite a few things going on that have been challenging you probably will be able to shrug them off a lot more easily okay. than 20% of the population who tend to be highly sensitive so our orchid children um, come into the world sensitive and that can be all for all sorts of reasons. It can be uh, because you know mum was very stressed, and there was a lot of cortisol and adrenaline pumping, when she was pregnant pumping through yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the body when when mother was pregnant. Sometimes there can be a very traumatic delivery, so the baby gets yeah. really exposed to that through delivery. But in many many cases, it's because um, children are exposed to um, adversity when they're growing up. So uh, it's Dr. Uh, Professor Vincent Felitti who uh, just stumbled upon the fact that adverse childhood experiences played a huge part in obesity. And in his studies, he had people losing weight and then almost inexplicably, they seemed to put on the same amount of weight, if not more weight, and it just came back on and he just couldn't understand why. So after probing a little bit more, he realised that every single person that spoke to him uh, exposed these adverse childhood experiences. So he um, categorised them into um, uh, um, three sort of main categories, really. I'm just going to... Mm-hmm. I've just got something. This is fascinating. You know, usually people... Um, <clears throat> have very negative experiences in their in their childhood and they keep on pushing right yeah they do and and, and and then you know but then you can't lie if you are overweight you can't lie if you're exhausted you yeah. can't lie if you have yeah. cancer and yeah. often you're saying they are connected to adverse child, yeah, definitely. childhood experiences so we've got the combination of the sensitivity mm-hmm. uh which often is uh it's frowned upon in families. You know, if, if a child is very sensitive, then they're going to overreact when there's a lot of noise going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're going to find things very challenging mm-hmm. and uh, they'll feel that, that, that they may be um, chastised for that or teased for that. You know, you're just too sensitive. You yeah. know, um, what are you crying for now? There's that type of thing. So children learn very early on that it's not okay. okay. It's not okay to be sensitive. So that's where those early... Um, stages of masking starts to happen. People, uh, children start to cover up 
how they feel, and they learn to suppress their needs. Uh, so if we've got that sensitivity going on and then we've got some adversity coming in there. So Felitti identified uh, three main areas and that was um, abuse. Yes. So um, that can be physical, physical or emotional. Uh, neglect, which can also be physical or emotional. So if we talk about being a sensitive child and that not being understood and you are then expected to, to still do all what the other children are doing, then in a way that's kind of emotional neglect because you're not oh. being understood, you're not oh. being listened to. So therefore you don't know how to nurture yourself because what children want is approval. So they just try to conform and try to fit in. Um, and the other type of dysfunction is household dysfunction. So if sadly a child's been born into a family where there's been alcohol abuse or drug abuse or whether there's been a, a parent leave, so um, abandonment is a huge adversity for childhood. And that can be through divorce or it can be because a, a parent's gone into prison or, or died. Or, 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 or died. Mm -hmm. And yes, lost through bereavement. And we often find um, that that type of bereavement has never been discussed. It's yes. often suppressed. Yes. So if a child use, loses a parent very young, then people don't want to upset the child and they won't often discuss it or talk about it. So these, all of these things to a sensitive child are traumatic. They create huge trauma. And uh, it for, for other people, they won't understand why a child will react so dramatically. So they learn very much to cover up that... that um, that sort of uh, trauma by compensating their behavior. Mm -hmm. So this is where we've discovered that the early stages of, um, of sort of needing to be in control, because when you can't control your own environment, which you can't, you're powerless as a child. So if you are in a situation that is uh, with challenging adults or, you know, you're not, you don't feel understood, you somehow what can happen for children is that they can feel fundamentally flawed yeah. and so they'll start compensating to oh. try and get approval and this is often where oh. they're going to try harder they're going to prove themselves this is where this driven behavior comes ah. from and so it's fascinating when you go. start peeling away um what often happens as well we find with with them um, sensitive children is that they they want to make things better they want things to be harmonious That's right. and the world can seem very overwhelming so they become kind of fixers, fixers and yeah, yeah so, you know wanting to sort of try and make everything right so we've got this kind of need to control things and when you are powerless as a child then what often happens is that you develop a heightened sense of responsibility. So you feel... You carry everything on your you shoulders. You carry everything on your shoulders. That it doesn't belong to you at all. No, not at all. And so, you know, what oh. we'll see often is that as part of those adversities, children may have had to step up and um, uh, take on responsibilities too young. So look mm. after a, the siblings if there's been a problem in the family or if there has been a loss, maybe one of the parents can't cope and goes to pieces. And the, the and child, child is looking after up. the parents. Absolutely. I've seen this so many times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also the other one that we see very commonly is over-confiding in, in a sensitive yeah. child, over-sharing. So um, I'll give an example from my childhood is that my mum and dad always fought about money. Mm. My dad was a bit of a drinker. And a bit of a gambler and my mum was the one who kept everything mm. um, running with four kids mm. and uh, one night in the middle of the night they'd had a row and so she I think she felt very powerless as a woman because she didn't have the money to escape that no. situation <clears throat> but she got me out of bed I must have been about eight and got me dressed and said we're leaving and so that was really traumatic to me and you know she was always saying, we don't know how we're going to afford to pay the rent. Yeah. So as an eight-year-old who, you know, loved my mum very much, uh, there I was in the middle of the night um, being um, got out of bed. So that was my security, uh, you know, being told that we might lose our home and that we were leaving. And basically, my mum was only doing it to kind of shock my dad. So she took me outside and um, the other children were all out because they were older. And I was um, 
we hid behind a dustbin. I can remember it as clear as anything. We hid behind a dustbin for about an hour so that he thought we'd left. Right. And then we went back in. Now, life for her continued as normal the next day. But that, I can see, was a real embedded trauma for me. So I was, after that, I was constantly trying to find ways that I could bring money into the home. And I was eight years old. So these are the sorts of things that, you know, uh, this is why we need to understand about sensitivity. And we need to understand uh, how um, adversity affects our children. And, Mm. you know... um, it's, it's really been proven now, without doubt, that the level of adversity, there's a, an ACE quiz uh, that you can take online, um, without a doubt that whatever your level of adversity and, and the higher level of your score, it's going to definitely um, translate into ill health in later life. They've, they've looked at the links between heart disease, um, cancer, strokes, all of those things. And uh, I think it's Dr. Bernie Siegel that says, you know, our childhoods are stored up in our bodies and one day it will present its bill. And so with things like chronic fatigue, if we have, it's many years in the making. And so for many people, they think that it's just, oh, I've caught this virus and I've got ill. So they start looking on this external search for answers, you know, and they go to this person and that person and they practitioner hop and go all around and they're looking for this thing outside of themselves. The recovery journey for me was going inside myself. And so um, having a look at uh, who I really was, I'd, I'd covered up who I was. I'd become this high achieving person that could deal with life. People would look at me and see that I was... Um, I, I could be, you know, I was a goal setter, I was an achiever, I could be successful. I was successful. But actually inside I was I was really struggling and really broken. And and I, I you know, even bring up my children, I worried all the time whether I was doing the right thing or the wrong things. So um what we know about these orchid children is that they're the ever alert child. That's what comes out of adverse childhood experiences. So your adrenal response that should be a natural thing that tips in when you are under... Occasionally. uh, Occasionally. uh, With an ever-alert child, that switch becomes very, very sensitively triggered. It's almost sometimes on all the time. It's on all the time. So, Elaine, my darling, so this is very profound. It makes so much sense looking at my childhood and what kind of fixer I have become... Um, with my work as well and build my success around that too, right? Yeah. And most people who are overachievers, they, they do quite well helping other people. So now, uh, can I ask you to be very um, succinct with this? So now imagine that someone may be listening to this mm. and they go, oh my God, <laughs> I've got a long way to go. Yeah. You have created a very powerful methodology around it and your business, yeah. the Chrysalis Effect, is actually helping people with this. Yeah. So uh, people can, of course, find out about you on, online and, and connect with one of your practitioners. But like immediately, in the yeah. next few days, if someone has recognized that this is where they come from and they are they have this um, alertness on all the time and mm. the adrenal glands are exhausted mm. because, you know, the cord is always pumping all the time. What can we do? Well, the very first thing I think is once you have, uh, once you recognize, once you start to piece together all those symptoms and you know that you are, that this, that you can't continue doing this. I think it's realizing that um, you need to be willing to, to, to stop, as yes. we said. So, um, I mean, the process that people come through might be easier if I just talk about that process. Yeah. Um, one of the first things I think is to write everything down. So, you know, a big part of our program is journaling. But to get everything written out, we, we take a health profile. People fill in a health profile. And getting it all out and uh, on paper, I think, is really, really helpful because then it becomes real. Mm-hmm. And it's in your awareness because for the most part, we're pushing all these feelings down. And that's basically what illness is, isn't it? We're pushing the feelings down. So that health profile um, will then um, pass to someone that can um, explain 
what's gone on. I think once you've got an understanding and you can piece together why you're experiencing the symptoms, the impact they're having on your body, so learning what what the um, how the symptoms uh, connect mm-hmm. and how those symptoms are literally just the tip of the iceberg, mm. then we can start to look at those driving factors and understand your specific stresses. So I think knowing your stress ID is absolutely the next thing to do. So I know that my top three stressors are financial stress, yes. which I think probably comes from being woken up in the night. Yeah. <laughs> um, financial stress, um, relationship, um, you know, making sure that my yeah. my relationships are really harmonious and environments. I have to be in the right environment for me. So those are my top three stresses. If I'm in the wrong environment, okay. I can't be in loud, loud, you know, places with loud yes. noises and all that kind of thing. So I think f- really notice what what your stresses are, and then you can work to eliminate them. Yes. And or limit them as much as you possibly yes. can. Yes. So I think that's the work, and recognizing. Um, because people are very resistant in those mm-hmm. early mm-hmm. Uh, early phase of looking for recovery or help, is that there is going to be this compulsion to go back to doing what you were doing because that's your sense of control, and if you've you know worked you know um, Goshia, um, you've probably worked with people that are lawyers or mm-hmm. or doctors you know I have too, and often they their sense of identity is in what they do, so I think. A uh, big part of the journey is recognizing that actually you aren't what you do. So if you have been doing something that you spent many years training in, um, I think your body is probably trying to tell you that you you're are not on the you're wrong doing. track. Yeah, you're, exactly. You know, you're, you're not you're not doing the right thing for you, even if you're brilliant at mm. it. You're something. Your body's trying to get you to change something. And that's usually, uh, and that could be that your relationship isn't working, but you dare not voice it. It could be that your career path you've chosen just doesn't really suit who you are. Do you know one of the most amazing things that's come out of the work that I do is that 20% of the population are sensitives and they tend to be the people that, that succumb to, you know, fatigue. Um, in fact, the adverse childhood experiences uh, and the sensitivity, those two combined, gives us a six times increased um, chance of developing chronic fatigue. Ooh. That's the statistics wow. there. Shocking. Um, yeah. So I think um, what we also see is that often people have left that, the creativity that they loved when they were children, they've left it behind. And rediscovering your creativity can be a fantastic route Mm. to getting you on track. And so, you know, whether that's art, whether that's dance, whether that's music, whatever it is, you know, in our um, recovery community, we have got just honestly, we could we could start our own art gallery with the fantastic art. We could we could have bands and orchestras with people rediscovering things. They often when life becomes challenging people let go of doing the things they love which is almost always it's almost always (laughs) yeah exactly sadly so i think you know for me it's about rediscovering what you love in life and doing more of that and it's amazing it's as if the soul has been whispering uh i think actually your soul whispers and it really tries to get your attention and for um, when you tip over into something like fatigue or adrenal fatigue or whatever, you it, it's almost like it goes silent. It's waiting for you to have that realisation to be able to um, connect. And then once you start doing those things that you love doing, you um, start being around people that are really inspiring and and encouraging and nurturing and you start nurturing yourself with good food and you spend time in nature and do the things that we we were never built to be stuck in offices for hours and hours a day under trains on trains and electric lighting even things like wearing color i mean you're in beautiful turquoise today you know we we've got bright colors on and just go to london and get off a train at eight o'clock in the morning and watch the hordes of people walking about in gray and black black and gray clothing 
you know so yeah. um, recovery is holistic it's about spring cleaning really every area of your life the eight areas the eight key areas that we look at mm-hmm. to address and without exception we address all of them are nutritional health mm-hmm. the health of your adrenals and thyroids because we need to get mm-hmm. that stronger um, the emotional health of course because your emotional health is your satellite navigation so what is it that's causing you emotional distress and then getting the support to work through that your environment sensitive people cannot live where they are unhappy so if you are someone that loves the countryside and the peace you will never be fully well if you're living in um you know in an urban noisy environment with Mm -hmm. screaming sirens going past so that is and over the years i've seen people change um, move from the country to the mm. sea, from the sea to um, the city, mm. from co- you know from country to country, and just moving where your where where your heart is happy and where your soul sings that is a huge part of well being. Okay. So environment is really key. Lifestyle and pace, you know, um, take um, busy out of your vocabulary and start looking at creating a life every day and bringing in each day. I talk a lot about a bliss list, you know, um, create a list of all the things that you love doing. They could be tiny and they could be amazing, but make a list of them. So I'll give you a few of mine. I'm sure you can think of yours. So um, sitting by a log fire, I have to live in a property where I can light a fire. It just does something wonderful for me. I love it. So or country pubs where they have log fires. Um, yoga is absolutely central was central to my recovery it helps the body and mind reconnect it takes me to a place of peace so I need to do that every week being around my grandchildren being around kids and that lovely joyful um, energy that they have Um, creating a harmonious space so I love making sure that my home feels right you know so um, having that conversation with that great friend that you laugh your socks off with you know doing those kinds of things whatever it is for you is it you know is it salsa is it what I but not allowing our our life to be taken over by um the tasks but making sure that every day we build in the joy so you know I have a dog for that reason because you know that little dog looks at me and makes sure that I don't prioritize work over walking in the woods because that you know that's going because that's my mm-hmm. church that's what fills me yeah. up so lifestyle and pace is huge you know looking at, mm-hmm. at how um, you can get back in control and loving the life that you live and then um, relationships mm. as I said you we can't delegate them and how many of us at some point in our life have taken a relationship for granted and not nurtured it you know every part of our life um you know especially if we've got kids we're like passing ships in the night you know can you take the kids to this can you can you pick up something on the from the supermarket on the way home you know what about lighting the candles and making that time to nurture our intimacy at whatever stage of our relationship and that takes constant um attention attention mm. and I'm sure, I'm sure we've all been through times when it's been the last thing on our mind um yeah. but you know it's making time for that and yeah. and really um honoring and uh, that person that shares their life with you yeah. or if you haven't got someone that shares their life with you um you know re- just making sure that we um honor the relationships that are in our lives because we can have a fantastic life don't have to be with a significant other to have a joyful wonderful life with beautiful beautiful relationships Mm. as part of that and um, of course uh, eliminating those uh, negative relationships that Mm. that we can't heal sometimes you know we try and and we can't heal Um, I limit time that I spend with um, some family members that I just can't seem to you know um uh feel at peace around let's say and then i think the final one on our on our sort of wheel that we look at as part of the whole recovery and Mm -hmm. support process is life purpose and uh you know often people come along with their headaches and their ibs and their their 
cognitive function problems and their thyroid and all of that and never ever dream that actually the key to their well-being is going to be allowing themselves to do the thing in the world that absolutely lights them up they just can't see it's possible can't see it's feasible and sometimes don't even know what it is but when we get that bit right um, even in retirement someone spending their time doing something they're passionate about working for a charity Mm. that they adore or whatever we all need to feel that we're making a difference in this world it's all about connection and love and unfortunately in the 24 7 culture that we live in in you know we're conditioning our children to feel they have to pass exams Mm. and grades to get the regular job to be you know and what we're doing is we're conditioning people away from their innate natural that that part that that free part of them and so i think really um recovery is about um getting back in touch with that inner beautiful part of ourselves that knows exactly what's right for us yes and what we as unique individuals need to have around us in our homes in our relationships you know the surroundings that we choose to live in um we already have those answers we just don't allow ourselves to do it we tell ourselves when it's not possible Oh my God, I didn't expect this um, this interview to be so profoundly impactful on me as well because it, everything you've said, it just sort of sounds so true but also it feels right. My, yeah. my intuitive radar goes, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> listen, yeah. make notes. So um, Elaine, thank you so much for all those incredible tips. And even now, taking us through the um, the last points, right, of, yeah. of the recovery program, it's like everybody who listens to it can now go and make some changes in their life immediately, right? Yeah, I mean, you you know, Goshia, that my big mission is transforming how our healthcare model. Yes. Um, I can't remember in all the years that I've gone to the doctor for various things if anyone's ever said to me, you know. Um, what do you believe triggered this? Yeah. Or um, how you know how are things in in your relationship right now? Or you know how do you feel about what you do for yeah. your job? Exactly. You know all of those things are, and that's why I believe you know that um, coaching is such a powerful intervention. You know many of us have, have been exposed to coaching. Um, the thing that underpins all the work we do is well-being coaching, which is a it's a very unique form of coaching. Because coaching in itself, and we as coaches know this, is built is based on the premise that we that, that that we all have all the answers within us. Well, I think we have a great deal of the answers, but we don't have all of them. And so, I think when we have the right combination of being, you know, having those powerful questions asked, so that we can get clarity of where we are, we can get awareness of what's what's getting in the way of our well-being. <clears throat> Then we can start to take responsibility, can't we, and, and and start implementing some of those things we've been talking about and those changes. And unfortunately, I think um, the healthcare model, with all its best intentions, it got to a point of where it was just offering a fix and a quick fix in form of you've got this symptom, let's give you this medication. Or you've got that symptom, or we'll send you to see that person who deals with your leg, and you know, and they'll they'll do surgery, um, or. You know, the mental health, it's all broken up and it's all disparate. And what we know is that we are whole beings. And when we are sad or unhappy or um, struggling with an element of our job or our relationship or whatever, it's going to have a physical impact. And so for me, um, I'm working towards the day where we are working with our fantastic complementary therapies with all the amazing um, touch therapies and um, incredible um, emotional release techniques and all the things that are out there and uh, and our medical uh, fraternity with all their expertise when we're all working together to see each individual as a whole person 
with you know all those eight areas going on for them on a daily basis you know our health changes in the moment and so must our healthcare delivery and the way that uh we address health issues so if you had a magic wand mm-hmm. and in the next few months no year let's say in the next few years you've had some really dramatic effect on our healthcare in this country yeah. and beyond what would you would love what would you love to see different what i would love to see is i'd love to see our health practitioners um honoring their own well-being above uh-huh. all and not working the ridiculous shifts and hours that they are i think when the holistic approach is adopted we've got all this fantastic technology now and we can offer something called agile delivery so the way i see it working i see it so clearly is that we can when someone um, goes along to their general practitioner uh, they could um, fill out something that is a much more holistic overview of what's going on for them very very quickly um, the GP would be able to then um, pass them through to the sort of well-being pathway that is most appropriate for them to to go on to. So then he may sort of prescribe something, like antibiotics or whatever, but at the same time, for for those who will be open, because not maybe everybody will be interested in that, is to sidestep to another pathway of well-being where they take charge of their health Yes. Yeah. So what what that GP would be doing is um, educating right at the get go uh, about um, that we're here to access the underlying cause of this. You know that you have this symptom, but we're gonna we've got this fantastic well being pathway that's going to support mm. you to regain your well being and addressing the underlying causes that has created these symptoms. And so whether that's the chronic fatigue pathway, whether that's the eating disorder pathway, whether that's the anxiety and depression or whether it's the addiction pathway or whatever, because, you know, all of those things are expressions or manifestations of that inner void that, you know, we we all as individuals have experienced from time to time in our life and we haven't addressed it, we've suppressed it. Wonderful. So the GP will be helping in a very different way, more holistically. Yes. yes. And it will be helping to the suppressed and repressed things to yeah. come somehow to the surface and being handled handled by yeah. the appropriate specific yes. expert. And instantly. Because we live now in an instant society. So the days of where the GP writes the letter and it goes to the consultant and then you wait six weeks, three months, however, to see that person... But my thinking is what happens in the three months while you're waiting? Mm. What what you know, what is yeah. happening to you psychologically and physically while you're waiting? Mm. You know, in chronic fatigue, people will wait would would often wait years. I was 18 months before I even had a diagnosis. And a massive part of that downward spiral of my illness was because I didn't have answers. I didn't know what to do. I was desperately searching. If I'd have at that point said this is absolutely textbook. We have a fantastic mm. recovery pathway for you. You can access it instantly and you will get, and this is something that's come out of the work is this, we call this agile delivery. So the GP would give that person the, the, the pathway and that would be a link that would be straight into a fantastic online um, accessible um, strategic pathway where immediately that person is taken into a community almost a family of people that understand that have overcome it and I call that role model medicine so where we've got these phenomena we've got social media communities we love to be part of that and interact with people that are on the same Mm. journey as us and whether that's spiritually or holistically so to be able to if I would have been able to have been put into that place Oh, don't worry. I was exactly where you are, but you know this is this is what I did, and you're in the right place, Wonderful. and we've got all the experts here that can answer your questions like that. And also, if you need that one-to-one, mm. we've got that too. So Amazing. that's the healthcare model I I craved. I I'm sure that that's what really we all crave, isn't it? That's Some, the only way to, to go, be my darling. Understood yes. and to be. Um, seen, uh, yes. respected as the, the the whole person that you are. 
Oh my God, this is really profound. And Elaine, I hold the my intention for you that this will happen, that you will get to the right places, speak to the right people. So if a, a GP listens to it now or a doctor or yeah. um, it, someone who has got some sort of influence over um, healthcare in this country, please contact Elaine. How do people contact you and where can they find out about your special methodology? Okay, so um, if it's for <clears throat> chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia um, or ME, then it's thechrysaliseffect.com. So you can go to the website mm-hmm. there and you'll get all the help that you need. Mm-hmm. If it's for um, those other areas that we were talking about, like eating disorders and um, addictions and uh, anxiety and depression then our proven model in chronic fatigue what we're looking for is to have the funding to be able to develop those resources um, you know much more quickly so that we can have these amazing pathways to offer our GPs so that we can take the pressure off them too um, so that would be um, that's at, uh, to, to contact us there that's team at chrysalis effect health that's team at Chrysalis Effect Health. Okay. So, yeah, wonderful. That's, that's our two pathways. Elaine, it's been a great privilege, honor, joy, and inspiration to speak to you. And I am very much looking forward to seeing you achieve what you've set out yourself to achieve. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank you, Kosha. It's been a pleasure.